the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky, your host of uh, The Green Peak. And joining me today is Morgan and Emily Apaxia, who are co-founders and managing partners of Poseidon Asset Management out of the San Francisco area. And uh, Emily, you um, and Morgan started uh, Poseidon back in 2013, which is really now one of the longest running um, capital investment funds in the cannabis space. Uh, I think today you're just over $100 million of assets under management, which is you know, great progress over the last few years. But how did you get into uh, medical cannabis as an approach as an investor? What drove you there? But also, how do you think and how do you look at the markets change from an investor perspective over the last five years? Because obviously, there's a lot of recent turmoil, but shifts are uh, very dynamic. Yes, absolutely. Dynamicism is exactly the key to investing in cannabis. Um, so when we first started looking to invest in cannabis, it was that I had moved to um, California in 2011 and started to see these stores that were very interesting, very beautiful stores, but they were operating with pencil and paper and uh, using, you know, products that were in plastic bags stapled with business cards on them. And so it was just, un it was just unbelievably clear to us that there was an abundance of opportunity in terms of ways to participate in this industry. And unlike many other brick and mortar experiences where it was kind of slowing at the retail storefront, we were seeing people standing in line to purchase cannabis and people that defied stereotypes about the kinds of people that you think of as consuming cannabis, especially since we came from the East Coast, which has now started to catch up in terms of the cannabis movement. But that was back in 2011, 2012, Morgan and I started to have a conversation about how to participate in this and that we came from a long line of entrepreneurs and, and kind of innovators in our family. And so we've been thinking about how we could create our own path in this world. And, and we just started talking about cannabis as the opportunity of our generation. And we always say that it's kind of like once that light goes on, you can't turn it off. And if you and if we had, we would be so disappointed today to have missed out because we just closed really our sixth year running the first fund. Um, so it was Morgan's idea to put together the fund structure because he identified that companies would need resources and investors would want to participate. And there was a wide gap in between understanding how to diligence these com companies, understanding the potential investable sub sectors of the market, and then for these companies to have structures that would actually benefit their businesses. So that's how we started to put the whole thing together. And uh, <laughs> this industry has changed drastically. Finding service providers to support our fund back in 2013 was a monumental task. And we went through quite a few in order of finding the groups that would feel comfortable supporting a cannabis-focused investment fund. So quite a challenging environment. It's come a long, long way. And Sometimes we'd like to think that we contributed to the evolution of that because of our, our you know, cutting through the, the front line on that and having to find those service providers and find the ways to really do this the right way. So um, the environment has changed unbelievably. The companies have become much more investor friendly and investor ready, I should say. And uh, the opportunities are immense. And to the point of our conversation before the podcast started, 
it's become a global opportunity just basically over the past six years. Yeah, and you know, you, you just touched on something earlier, which actually goes back to a point in your own background where you come out of a family of entrepreneurs and, um, you know, what, what type of businesses were they building and running and how did that, um, you know, that, how did that shape your perspective as an investor? Because entrepreneurs are always trying to understand how to connect with investors, but a lot of times they think, well, it's two different worlds, but reality is our perspectives get shaped by our backgrounds. Uh, yeah, uh, no, it's a it's a great point, and it's it's kind of a two part, I'd say, at least from from my perspective. But um, our family business, or how it all got started, was our our dad um, was quite a very smart and also very handy uh, person. Um, so he was able to restore um, classic cars uh, and get them all the way to show quality. And so he was just very passionate about it, loved doing it, loved cars. Uh, and was really good at it. So he was able to take these cars out of junkyards and put them back into show quality and win and then be able to sell the cars for a nice profit and did that over and over again, uh, building up a nest egg to start um, building a real estate um, uh, opportunity, basically, in, in the Western New York area. And so using those profits, starting to buy, similar idea, buying very low-priced homes, multi-units, uh, using his own sweat equity and my mom, uh, you know, going in and rehabbing these homes and then renting them out. And uh, they did that for many years. Uh, you know, I joined in when as a kid, I would be out there cutting lawns or, or painting, you know, walls and doing all kinds of stuff, whatever I could as a kid to, to help out. And so they did that for numerous years, built up a portfolio of like 50 units across the Western New York region before they, um, well, before our dad, became very ill, um, eventually passing away. And then our, our mom, um, you know, she ran it for a couple of years, but really wound it down uh, because it was just too much for her to handle. Um, and her passion really was in more on the accounting side of things. And so she actually went back and got her accounting degree and, and did that full time before, unfortunately, she got sick and passed away as well. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, but that's, you know, that defines who you are, I guess, is um, your background, as you mentioned. Um, yep. You know, it's interesting as uh, how investing kind of came to be such a part of um, at least my passion at a young age, um, you know, from doing all of the cutting of lawns uh, for both the, the family business and then also uh, just doing it on, on my own and with a good buddy of mine, uh, you know, taking those uh, those earnings and um, started investing it and buying stocks. Um, yep. When I was, you know, my first stock I ever bought was... Uh, was was Exxon uh, because we were oh, putting really? all the stocks in the uh, in the lawnmowers all summer long, and you're just like, okay, well, this seems like kind of a, nece a necessity. So, uh, yeah, so that's where I started investing at a at a very young age. That's uh, that's 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 really interesting. I mean, you started with Exxon, and you know, now we're here, and the people would look at it and go, it's such opposite extremes. But of course, our whole everybody's uh, everybody's perspective, and uh, as we age, changes. But it's it's. Uh, that's an interesting one. So yeah, actually, you know, I know more, uh, Emily, you went through and did psychology as a degree. Um, Morgan, what did you study and how did it, you know, it all affects also how we approach the market. Yeah. So my background is in uh, applied math. Okay. Um, you know, the love numbers, even though I actually struggled early on with math, uh, but then I had an amazing teacher uh, who just really changed um, how I, I saw numbers and, you know, it's 
been you know pretty amazing ever since. So I, I became a math major in college, and um, you know it was very much in an applicable way where we were looking at a, it was a lot of statistics focus, um, and so you know naturally when you're looking at investments, there's a lot of uh, that knowledge base is applicable um, and, you know, just kind of fueling that, that love for it. So like I even, you know, I tell people when I was 18 years old, I was a freshman in college. I started my own Roth IRA and started investing that, um, you know, and so it's just uh, always kind of been a part of my, uh, well, at least from 12 years old on, uh, it's always been a big part of my life. Yeah, I, uh, I understand that journey of struggling with math early on. And then later on, it becomes such a key part of your life and finding the right teacher who opens who understands us to the point where they can help us decipher where math math is because a lot of us struggle with that early on and i know uh, a lot of people are ashamed to admit it but the reality is once we find the key it all unlocks and uh, that's huge and i think when we come back from the break we're gonna just follow up on uh, a piece touched upon as well which is just how entrepreneurs are uh ready and how they've had to shift in the last year. So coming back from the break in uh, just a couple of minutes with Morgan and Emily Apaxia from uh, Poseidon Asset Management. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the Green Peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The The Green Peak Peak with Richard Zwicky. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of The Green Peak. And we're back on The Green Peak with uh, Morgan and Emily Paxia. And just before the break, one of the things we were discussing was uh, how entrepreneur readiness. And, you know, a year, well, not a year, but probably two, three years ago, and even back in uh, 2014 when you uh, really were getting going, uh, you know, entrepreneurs in this space could wave a flag and somebody would put money in. 
and they weren't as ready for the realities of as the business development develops and hits uh, hurdles, how to deal with it. But as you're seeing new entrepreneurs come in the door or even existing entrepreneurs looking to top up and get into another round of funding, you mentioned that you're seeing investor uh, entrepreneurs being more ready. But how many of them are that you see today are really ready and realistic on valuations? Because obviously a lot of people had to come crashing down to earth, but everybody always has a different sense of their own value than the market is willing to pay. How close are you seeing that gap today? Well, I mean, isn't the value of something defined by exactly what the willingness to pay at that price is? Absolutely. I, yeah. So <laughs> I think that that's one of the big disconnects that we've seen over the last few months, especially. But I mean, when, I, when we say more investor ready, when we first got into the space, the space was very, very challenged in terms of being underserved by tax teams, by legal work, by, um, you know, audit, by insurance. And now we're seeing that these teams are getting the traditional resources that they should have, which will make their jobs much, much easier. So to that extent, we feel like the teams are, there's better legal work done in the industry. So their formation and the entity consideration and tax consideration is all much, much better, or at least it should be. The excuses for it to not be are, are dying down. Mm-hmm. Um, and founders seem to have figured out that they have to have a data room prepared. They have to be ready for investors to come visit their facilities and talk with their teams and customers and other investors. Um, but, you know, areas where this, the, the gap still exists is that there's still this inflated sense of valuation, which is the gap we're trying to close and get back to reality. Because I think that one of the challenges we've seen over these past few months, and, and Morgan and I always talk about actually for us, some of the more concerning times in this industry were, were when things were running really, really hot. Like when MedMen IPO'd at over a billion dollars, that made absolutely zero sense to us. And we felt like there was no way to invest intelligently into that unless you're backdooring something, which I know some people did, um, but whatever, we can talk about that another time. But I think the most important thing is that if you're looking to invest with integrity, it's all about the timing, the entry point, and the structure, you know, in terms of once you've decided you think it's an attractive investment. And so we're very um, interested now to see with this new phase of this industry where we're going to be building businesses, if we can get um, entrepreneurs to that point where you can really align and create structures and, and arrive at a valuation that makes sense for everybody. Um, one of the things I've seen founders going through is they're going through down rounds or they're unable to attract new capital. And we feel that there's going to be, unfortunately, a pretty high rate of failure coming at this time because people over, you know, estimated where they were going to be with their businesses and their valuations were far too high in the past year to year and a half. And now it's a time for a correction. So I think we're all in this reality zone where we're trying to get to a point where we can work together. And for us, it's always been, I think if anyone spoke to our founders, they'd know that Poseidon always tries to come up alongside the teams and really work with them as partners. And so we just really want to get to a fair place for both companies to contemplate so that it's a really equitable partnership where we all have upside potential. Absolutely. I mean, because quite honestly, if the entrepreneur isn't, uh, doesn't have the prospect of compensation, they lose interest as well. I mean, they're passionate about doing something that's amazing, but the reality is they have to share on the upside, just like the investor. And the investor 
has to expect the entrepreneur to be realistic about where they are today and where they're going to be. Um, yeah, and I think it, yes, and I think just one more point to that is that Morgan and I are basically entrepreneurs in our own right in the way that we approach this. And so I think we have a tremendous amount of respect for the courage and the grit it does take to be a founder. So I think that works really well when we think about the ethos of how we, we partner up with people. So it's, it's an interesting place to come from rather than just we're just investors. It is. It is. And that's that's an important point that a lot of people, you know, when you're dealing with funds and the like, people, not everybody's in the same boat as you where you're the entrepreneur as well as, you know, the, the access to capital. A lot of people look at it as being different things and it's not. And so how do you make sure everybody starts with it from a common place of being an entrepreneur? That makes a big difference. Now, your first fund was the one that started, your fund one was the one that started uh, about six years ago now, and you're in the middle of closing your fund two. Fund one had a bit of a split, um, was it 80-20 between public and private, whereas fund two has a slightly different focus and is focused, is looking at 100% private placements. Is that correct? Uh, so yeah, just to clarify, Fund One uh, really never its its range of public exposure um, it goes anywhere from low single digits to up to twenty five percent. Has kind of been its historical range right. of public exposure. So still very much, you know, a hybrid strategy where we have done a lot of private investments. But the second fund, you're correct, is not. It is all private companies, um, generally targeting growth stage companies. And we look all over the world. We certainly have a home bias here in the U.S. because we know this market and we've been investing in it now for over six years. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we do have an investment down in Mexico and uh, we do look abroad. Um, you know, we are opportunistic investors. We know from a portfolio construction standpoint, the areas of the industry we want to invest in. And, and you know, again, generally the stage. And we have parameters around ownership uh, targets and, you know, all those kind of traditional uh, of course. VC, um, metrics we're looking for. Right. And, you know, I've, so tell me a bit about your fund too, which I think is, you know, it's still being, uh, you're raising capital into it with it uh, coming to a close sometime in the next little bit. And, you know, what does that look like for the participants and for the entrepreneurs who are going to approach you? Because obviously it has a focus. Yep. So our investor base is, uh, has been high net worth and family office. Uh, you know, we are a private fund, so we are uh, uh, required under our regulatory framework. It's a, you know, consider a 3C1, so we're limited to 99 investors, all that good stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, but being a venture structure, it is, you know, six year horizon with, uh, with extensions on it. Um, so we are, from an entrepreneur's standpoint, you know, we are, um, looking for those um, that are are building good businesses, um, building sound businesses, um, and helping to shepherd the industry in a positive direction. You know, as Emily was mentioning, some of those that are likely to fall in this environment in this phase we call the Darwin phase. You know, we're looking for strong teams that are are going to make it through this environment, and uh, we know most will not, um, and that's okay. There was a lot of, as you were noting earlier. Um, you know, exuberance that uh, capitalized a lot of very weak companies um, whom are now levering up in a big way in a lot of instances, especially some of these weaker MSOs. And, you know, going with the uh, the mantra of extend and pretend, 
And, you know, they might get another couple of years out of it before they'll really go away. But there will be some that are going to start cratering here in the next, uh, you know, quarter or two. Uh, we think there's going to be some potentially some big names that will finally exit. Uh, uh-huh. and, and we ultimately think that's a good thing. Um, more sensible business practice. Uh, and so finding those entrepreneurs that are doing a good job through this environment, um, that are still building, staying very focused, um, because those are the ones that are tending to do well regardless. You know, the, the markets are uh, quite volatile for cannabis. Um, you know, we're used to these wild gyrations in the public markets, and they do have uh, impacts on private valuations. Uh, but we look for those that are less swayed by hot money or unsustainable uh, valuations that are more focused on building good business for the, for the long term and creating good value for shareholders. Well, that's perfect. And I think we'll come back to that after the break. We uh, have to take another break right now. And I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak with Morgan and Emily Paxia from uh, Poseidon Asset Management. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with uh, Morgan and Emily from uh, Poseidon Asset Management and uh, Morgan, uh, Emily, you know, today's market is full of turmoil, and we've been dealing with this since last April, uh, really, when the markets started a, a decline and trying to figure out 
where what was going on and a lot of exuberance and shine wore off quickly on a lot of the uh, participants in the uh, medical cannabis industry and cannabis industry in the uh, the public markets but you know for the most part it looked like it was starting to head up it's been a bit up and down the last uh, few days obviously uh, you know every now and again one company gets some really bad news or you know, other companies have some good news so there's a bit of jitteriness but how do you see today's markets you know we're looking at uh, playing out through q2 q3 this year um, what do you what do you see happening and how would you position yourselves uh, looking at companies um, so our, our bullishness is like almost at record highs <laughs> um, you know we're not rushing uh, we're being very patient and sticking to our process um, but you know this this market dynamic is helping to uh, sort through you know phase one of this industry and that's why we call this the Darwin phase as we are in this period where a lot uh, a lot of these companies won't make it through and we think it's akin to like the dot-com bust um, you could also you know we've heard um, comparisons to the financial crisis um, you know you can just look to other times where you've had these these cycles and isn't it a great time to be a capital provider when you're at the bottom of those cycles? Some of the best companies are born out of um, periods like this, uh -huh. uh, you know, back to the, the bottom of the dot-com. So, you know, for us, this is the next couple of quarters are going to help sort through this noise. It's going to help clear up a lot of it, hopefully, um, you know, where we'll start to see uh, the better companies will start to bifurcate. You know, right now it's been generally a pretty high correlation type of environment, which is to be as to be expected. It's not surprising to us, but, you know, going forward, we should expect that to start to separate as the weak will continue to sink and, and you know, go away and the better will start to shine through. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting in cannabis, especially if you're on the plant touching side, uh, the clearing mechanism is is not straightforward. It's, it's quite mm -hmm. murky because we don't have federal bankruptcy protection. Yeah. Uh, in the United States, you know, you do see this in other federally legal areas. Canada, obviously, is the the one to to note where they do have federal bankruptcy, um, and you're seeing that happening already. There's, uh, I think, of what at least uh, half a dozen or so have, have gone through that process. Um, so that's why we think it's you know at least another couple of quarters um, protracted noise. While these, um, you know, you see a lot of state receiverships. Uh, you'll hear a term quite frequently now of CRO, where R doesn't equal revenue. Um, yep. and, yep. uh, you know, you're seeing law firms that are popping up all over ready to stand in and help with um, orderly or trying to create some order in these in these liquidation scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really it's interesting. Um, you know, there's a whole podcast we could do on just all the nuances there, but you know, with the way this industry is going through its legalization process at the state level, um, there's a lot of trickiness around taxes and what some of these operators have been doing and not paying their taxes and who's really liable for that. And, um, you know, and that's going to start becoming in the forefront, I would imagine, uh, pretty much any time now. Um, so anyway, so for us, this is just, you know, it's a great time to be investors. Um, we think this actually makes our IRR profile look even more interesting uh, because guess what? Demand is still there. That's the best thing about cannabis is, is, you know, in the broader economies you have, you have expansion and contraction of, of demand, right? And for us, yep. this is regulated demand unlocking for years to come, regardless of the broader markets. You might see a shift in consumer behavior about their willingness to spend on products. So like the $70 pre-roll joint might not be as interesting. Um, 
for a lot of folks, but there still will be a lot of demand for uh, legal, safe, you know, more you know, tested, highly regulated product. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I know we're going to be running out of time here in a few seconds, but what sort of entrepreneur would you like to uh, contact you? Like what stage, which area of focus? And if you can share your URL or best point of contact with people, our listeners, then, uh, you know, hopefully the right listener is going to be there and uh, be, contact you for the right reason. Right. So we're focused on series A or later stage companies, which means they're either generating revenue or have certain levels of key performance indicators, KPIs, um, that have shown that they have product market fit and that they are growing and, and growing month over month. Um, so those, those are the companies that we're looking to talk to. We're mainly focused in the United States. Um, so that's an important piece of that as well. Uh, our best way to be contacted is through our website at www.poseidon.partners. And it's important. There's no .com there. Um, yep. <laughs> and there's a form to fill out on the website that's easy for us to get a look at. And we do reply um, if it is a fit. Now, we don't reply to all inquiries because um, some people don't take the time to put together very thoughtful inquiries. But we do our best to reply to those that really do put together a thoughtful inquiry. It is always funny when people go to ask for something and they don't give a proper explanation. And when it's something so important to the business's capital that they don't take mm -hmm. the time, it just reflects on uh, how it's going to go later on. But great uh, first impression. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Green Peak. Uh, it's been really interesting and, uh, you know, wishing you well with uh, the fun too, which I know is going to be very exciting and uh, look forward to seeing announcements around that and uh, the successes you've had to date with Fund One and uh, your, your role in helping shape the uh, development of important aspects of the industry's uh, laudable. So thank you very much. And with that, thanks to everybody for listening today. Look forward to talking with you again next week on the Green Peak. I'm Richard Zwicky. opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.